We're joined on the line by former Springbok player and author of the book titled Being a Black Springbok, Tando Manana, the Tando Manana story. Very good morning to you, Tando, and welcome. Thanks uh, for having me, and uh, good to be on your show. I first would like to get uh, your reaction, Mr. Manana, to the announcement that South Africa is now a preferred host for the 2023 World Cup. Well, I guess, uh, we, you know, in life, I just uh, was reading some of the Irish and the French, uh, you know, media. Uh, the friends are saying that, uh, you know, uh, we, we got this one through some backdoor, yet it was a transparent uh, process between the three nations. And I think South Africa has done themselves very well in preparing the bid. And I think also it comes, or it stems, in fact, from the previous uh, uh, whippings that we, we did get, especially if one looks at the 2015 and the 2019 uh, Rugby World Cup. So I think uh, it was our time, and our time will come on the 15th of November, where we just require uh, 19 votes uh, from the 39 votes that will be voting on the day. And uh, I think this process was quite a transparent one in a sense that it looked at everything. It looked as one uh, of the reporters stated of the infrastructure. It looked at the transport uh, mobility of a country and uh, the venues. The venues play a significant role. If you look at the opening, you look at the semis and you look at the final, those will be played in Johannesburg at Soccer City and uh, that can host 90,000 and that's what you require, especially if one looks at the future of uh, 2023 where the game would have grown enormously by then as the uh, you know the world rugby seeks to achieve it seeks to achieve a sport that continues to grow continues uh, uh, to make sure that it's got the numbers but yet profitable at the same time so i think south africa's bit is quite well and also the 160 uh, you know that have been put million that have been put on the table uh, for as profits for world rugby it's certainly something that uh, you know world rugby will also be hoping uh, that south africa does get because it also has some big financial uh, you know, profits to be made. And as you know, that uh, this game is a professional sport. And I think with the corporate uh, that are lying in wait to hear what will happen on the 15th of November, certainly this could be also one of the biggest World Cups uh, to be prepared and also, uh, you know, profitable for World Rugby going forward. Now, some would say that it is about time that we do get another World Cup because we have a number of sta- stadiums built in 2010 and they're standing as white elephants. Do you think that that was perhaps uh, one of the issues in terms of infrastructure that uh, uh, put the, the cup really in our hands? Look, I think for me, the, the stadiums will, will always be there. It's for South African people to look uh, for events or, you know, big sporting uh, tournaments for us to, to, to be able to host. I mean, you mentioned White Elephant. No one wants to, in, you know, to, to build stadiums for big amounts of money, and yet it's difficult to find people even having or running some tournaments or, or so every year or two as the municipality themselves find it very difficult uh, to, to look after this stadia as this stadia belongs to the municipality. However, I'm quite happy uh, to see that Cape Town City, who for me was uh, shortly going to be a white elephant, that all of a sudden it's got a nod ahead of Newlands. Uh, that's, a, you know, it raised a lot of eyebrows, but uh, not only for Cape Town, but for Turban, where you see that Kings Park has also been left out on the sidelines and uh, Moses Mabida Stadium, uh, you know, has gotten the nod to host some of the games in the Rugby World Cup. So what it says to it means that 
South African Rugby Union, uh, alongside the, uh, you know the government, surely came to an agreement that we built some stadia and we want you to use these stadiums, and uh, they're certainly going to be using all those stadiums that are available to them. And the, the big question was always, are they going to use Ellis Park? Are they going to use, uh, uh, you look at uh, Newlands, and I think it will come at a cost if they were to include those stadiums, because it would mean that they've got to go for big renovations. We know that earlier on in the year, Newlands couldn't, uh, you know, nearly lost the test match against an all-black side because of the safety uh, requirements that they did not meet going into that test uh, match between the Springboks. And uh, for now, I think all the other stadiums, they fit all the bills, they pass all the tests. And I think it was through government intervention that all those stadiums be used and not remain white elephants. And I think going forward, if we win the World Cup, um, the World Cup bid, I think Saru will uh, definitely want to make sure that all the big games are played at those stadiums as sort of something for them to appetize and also just uh, uh, put them there in the nation, test them of their capabilities of hosting such a big tournament as the World Cup. We're also joined on the line by rugby journalist Vata Ngobeni. Vata, very good morning to you and welcome. Good morning to you, uh, Elvis. Uh, morning to Tando. Wonderful. I would also, yes, I would also like to check with you. How have the news of South Africa being the preferred host for 20, uh, uh, the 2023 World Cup, uh, how was that received in the rugby fraternity? Um, I've also had a sort of perusal, just like Thunder did, of, of the French uh, media and the Irish media. And, and I see that there was a major outcry, especially from the Irish, you know, um, McGrath is saying that we 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 almost um, eluding the fact that we, we could have um, you know slipped some brown envelopes um, <laughs> towards rugby and and again like Tando also have to agree with him in that uh, uh, this process was transparent. This is World Rugby saying this is our preferred candidate. They sat down, they looked at all the three bids, and they said to themselves, which one makes the most sense. And, and what that we're looking at it firstly from a, a financial point of view, you know, because all they want to do is milk as much money as they can from every single World Cup. We saw what happened in England two years ago. That was uh, the most profitable World Cup, you know, um, for World Rugby. So they looked at this one and they said, where are we going to make the most money? Is where you're going to sell the most tickets. You know, it, it's where you, you'll be, again, you fall into that European time zone, um, of which we compete against two European nations. Uh, but then it's outside of Europe. And, and, and again, I think World Rugby, you know, have made a sensible, you know, um, decision in announcing who their preferred um, host nation is. Um, I'm, I'm not too much in favor of this announcement of the preferred um, host nation. And then, you know, um, two weeks later, we announce um, uh, the Rugby World Cup board then gets to sit and announce who the host nation is. You know, I think I think they should just gone straight into it. Um, with the voting and obviously um, with World Rugby having their say as well. Um, and, you know, the French are just bitter. They, they, they remain bitter. And, and, and you know, I, it boggles the mind that the French are, are out there bidding for the Olympics, bidding for for, for Rugby World Cup. And, and, and a nation that hosted the World Cup just 10 years ago, you know, they, they won the host of the Rugby World Cup, um, you know, within 16 years of that one. So it, it just it, it boggles the mind how, how these nations just believe that they've got, you know, uh, a God-given rights to, to, you know, to become host nations. But then again, as, as Tango said, you know, um, I think South Africa's bid has been very, very strong. I think South Africa's bid was, again, driven by the amounts of times they've lost 
uh, to host the Rugby World Cup, and, and, and they would have learned valuable lessons from that. And then, you know, we mentioned as well, you know, the, the, the fact that there's infrastructure um, already already available, and, um, uh, and and the fact that that, that bread is so player centric and looks after the you know the health of, of of players because I mean I was in England two years ago and um, you travel from Eastbourne to to Birmingham and it's a, you know it's a, almost a three hour journey by train um, South Africa you, you travel from from uh, Polokwane to Cape Town it's a probably two hour ten minute flight um, at the most. Um, if you charter one, so or even a two-hour flight. So, you know, uh, for players, um, the, the, uh, South Africa would probably be one of the best places. And I think it's for tourists alone. You know, you look at the amount of of, of tourism that that, that we should generate and, and in the country. You look at it; it's one of those World Cups that that works in favour of of rugby, mm-hmm. but more than anything, yes. it works very much in favour of the host nation. But Tando, coming back to you, many are saying we hosted a very good uh, Rugby World Cup 1995, but there's not much really to celebrate about hosting the Rugby World Cup in 2023, as even our teams are battling to transform. Your thoughts as a former Springbok and a Black Springbok for that matter on that? Oh, well, I think for me, it's always going to be a concern of, uh, you know, how things are projected and also the implementation of those uh, projections. It's never in sync. It's never a level. I think talk is cheap. And this time around, I think the same will happen, unfortunately. I mean, you speak of a Springbok side that uh, is now currently doing as per expected. At, uh, you know, we're lying at number five. Uh, we're playing the All Blacks up next in 2019 as, uh, you know, as, uh, as our opening game. So things are not getting any easier for South Africa going forward, which means that, as I've always said, that I think, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, the, the SAR executive, you look at the president of SAR, and you look at, you know, uh, you know he's taken over Hoskins, and that's Mark Alexander. You look at uh, what has he done so far. You know, there's very minimum that people have done once they're in those uh, big and, 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 and chairs of, this, of themselves. Because I think for me, if we get the, the World Cup, uh, obviously the, the notion that says uh, this sport will once again unify. It might go out the window as always the case, just used as uh, something to put up front and uh, not really being uh, utilized because of the pressures that come mm-hmm. from the corporate side. And for me, I think in all honesty, 2023 it should see not only the birth, but it should see the fruition of what they spoke about. And that is sort of the strategic transformation plan that they've worked on. I mean, this, we're going into our third year, and yet we haven't seen the results of those things. So meaning that in November 15, if we win it, 2023 we hosted, the, the STP should be up and running. It should be boiling, in fact. And, uh, you know, we, we should be doing very well with our teams. And I think maybe with the arrival of Rasi Erasmus, we never know what he has up his sleeve as he'll be responsible to see the development of the game as they say. Uh, unfortunately things might change in terms of his role within Saru camp. So a lot of now I can say to you it's hearsay. Uh, a lot uh, of uh, uncertainties is certainly in my mind of really saying that when we get it, which is good for the country, it's good for the game. Uh, that I will not shy away from. We always need big tournaments that the rugby World Cup to keep on promoting the game. But also I think opportunities. You mentioned uh, you know, if the 
if the, for example, you look at the franchise, you look at Cup, you look at the, that's a slow death of transformation currently happening. What will happen? Uh, if we get it, will they inject this or are they going to continue with the things or the way things have been going over the last couple of months or a year going forward? Those are big questions uh, mm-hmm. that needs to be asked. For example, next year we'll have franchise, uh, four franchise competing in Super Rugby and all the four head coaches are white male coaches. Then there's not even a black supporting coach in their supporting staff for next year. For me, that's diabolical uh, in a country that forever, whenever they need something, they will use uh, the word of unifying. We are a rainbow nation. We should be a rainbow nation in our workplace, in the sporting fields, wherever we go, in the stadiums and everything, etc., etc. And for me, unfortunately, that has taken a big dip. And every, everyone, as you expect, when we have a big announcement to be made, will always play as if everything. Everything is smooth running, and yet behind the curtains, it's just uh, even worse, and people are more disgruntled with the fact that uh, we saw with an all-black test match as if all-blacks were playing at home with that much support. That also tells you how disgruntled the people are in this country. Well, I'm going to ask you about that question when you say the Curry Cup is a slow death, but I have to take it just after 7 o'clock because we're running out of time. When we come back, we discuss this a little bit more. We also have Mark Alexander uh, from Saru on the, uh, uh, after 7 o'clock as well to discuss this issue of uh, transformation. So both of you gentlemen, please hang on the line and we'll be back uh, just after the seven o'clock news. That is our discussion this morning. I'd like to get your thoughts on what we are talking about. Is sport the only way to unify our country? As you know, World Rugby has announced that South Africa is their preferred host nation for the 2023 Rugby World Cup uh, here in South Africa. Now it's not finalist yet. We have to wait uh, to the middle of this month. The 15th of November, that is the World Rugby uh, that has announced that South Africa is their preferred host nation for the 2023 Rugby World Cup. This, however, is not the final outcome. We still have to wait uh, for that secret ballot that will take place in the middle of this month, November the 15th. That's the deadline. That's the day that they're going to announce it by World Rugby's General Council, which will then determine the winning bidder. Now, we were earlier speaking to uh, Tando Manana, former uh, Springbok player, as well as an author of the book titled Being a Black Springbok. Unfortunately, Tando has got to go because he's flying out, and I wanted to quiz him on that question of uh, the Curry Cup being the death of, or the slow death of rugby in the country. But joining us still on the line is uh, is rugby journalist Vata Ngobeni. Uh, Vata, I just want to pick up uh, with you on, on that. In fact, we haven't got Vata's yet as well. Well, we're going to try and see if we can get Vata as well. And uh, do we have Mr. Mark Alexander, South African President uh, of Saru, on the line? A very good morning to you, sir, and welcome. Good, good morning. Good morning to your listeners. Now, first and foremost, I would just like to get your reaction, though, to the announcement that South Africa is perhaps the preferred host for the 2023 World Cup. You must be a very happy man. Yeah, we're very happy and also very humbled by the announcement of World Rugby as the preferred better for 2023. Were you surprised, though? I, sorry? Were you surprised, though? Not at all. I think we put together a formidable bid. We, we offered the uh, World Rugby a triple win tournament for World Rugby and to boost, uh, and a boost for a major boost for South Africa. You know, what we meant by triple uh, uh, triple win, a win for the game with record revenues, a win for the fans who have incredible experience in South Africa, and most importantly, a win for the players, with the most player-centric tournament that has ever been held. 
And that's what we're promising World Rugby. What is it, though, that uh, that you think pulled us through to this point where we now uh, on the cusp of being pronounced uh, the host of the 2023 World Cup? I think the, the, one, the, the, the one thing that pulled us through was the, the, the guarantee. There was a minimum tournament guarantee of £120 million. Uh, pounds. We offered £120 million pounds plus 40. But the, the old package we put together, we also made an offer for the, the commercial rights for, for £35 million. Pounds. In total, before World Rugby sells eight tickets or sells the, 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 the commercial rights, they would have £235 million bank. Two hundred thirty-five million pounds bank, and that's what that was one of the, the selling points. The other selling point is all the good stadium we're sweating from twenty ten World Cup. You know, we got good stadium. We will we'll be not competing with any other major events in South Africa at the same time. Whereas in Europe, they got all these other events running at the same time, and so we don't have any any competition from any other event. Now, we, there is uh, some people, disgruntled countries, which are not very happy, uh, suggesting that uh, we might have passed some brown envelopes, such as France and so on. What do you make of these suggestions? I think it's a totally ludicrous thing. We agreed with World Rugby to go on and to appoint two independent companies to do the evaluation. So that the process is not flawed, was horse trading, or tarnished with unethical behavior. Now, this thing, this, 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 this recommendation was done by these companies independently of anybody else. It was done on your value proposition you put on the table. So there's no brown envelopes. What is going to happen when, it, when you hear countries country talking about lobbying and stuff? That's brown envelopes. And, and the World Rugby has got a clear set of mandates. We didn't want to go into a process where people now do horse trading and all kinds of things. And that's why the independent process was there. And, this, and the process was presented to the World Cup Rugby Board. The World Cup Rugby Board intended and unanimously endorsed that recommendation. So now we'll wait for the softies to, to go through the final process. And it was, it was the feeling of the, of the, of the uh, World Rugby Council that this is the process we want. We don't want to be to have any tarnishing by horse trading and offering deals and stuff. So there's no brown envelope changing hands. Now, earlier we spoke to a former Black Springbok, and, and he suggests that transformation is still very slow because even though we, we hosted a very successful World Cup in 1995, 2023 ahead, what are you doing as Saro to ensure that there's enough transformation within the game and to ensure that the game is not dying? He also suggested that the Curry Cup is perhaps the slow death of rugby in this country because they're untransformed. And, you know, Tanda makes a lot of statements, you know, but the one statement Tanda doesn't say, you know, we, we went through a vigorous process in the, uh, 2015 where we failed in meeting our transformation targets of government and the government penalized us. We've won, we got, we got a, uh, an agreement with government and we have delivered on that agreement. We've passed that, 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 um, that uh, balance scorecard of transformation of the government with flying colors the past year. So I, I'm not too sure what Tanda is talking about. We've got to now get into rugby program currently. 100, uh, um, uh, 180,000 new school kids playing. He must, he, he must base this on the back of that in our public schools in the South Africa, in the government public schools, they don't even do further. So getting sport into an into environment where the kids don't even do further, they don't do sport. It's very, very difficult. It is not our responsibility alone as rugby to deliver sport. It's, a, it's our responsibility with government, with the Department of Sport and Recreation and Education to 
gets fought into our into, into our into our into our schools. And we believe we've done a good job and we're on track. And we got agreement with government, and we'll deliver on that agreement. Who sponsors uh, 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 developing? There's not that anybody sponsoring developing the country. You tell me one company that you know that sponsors development. It's not. It's not true. You know, it's easy to throw through stones. To get out and do the work is a different thing. But what needs to be done to ensure that there is transformation on a grassroots well, level? No, no. We have got transformation on grassroots level currently. It's working, and we get measured it on annually. What What will help us to speed up that process would be. If our, if our public schools, the government schools, actually do any cultural sport, because it's easy to introduce sport to a kid who does sport at school. There's no sport at all. It's not even for them at 80% of our government schools. All right. We also have uh, Vata, uh, Vata Ngobeni, journalist, uh, rugby journalist on the line once again. Vata, once again, good morning to you. Uh, now, we talk about transformation this, uh, uh, transformation this morning. Now, uh, uh, you, you probably heard what, uh, what Tando also said and, and what Mr. Alexander now saying, uh, that they did meet the targets. But in your view, is, there, is, is transformation a reality in South Africa, especially in rugby? Uh, morning to Mr. Alexander there as well. Um, I was again... <laughs> The fine facts is wrong. Um, the, the sad reality is that, you know, um, and, and I probably agree with Mr. Zonda that maybe at grassroots level, the transformation is there. You look at the youth weeks and so on, we, we're seeing enough black faces. My biggest concern comes in when you look at the caricap sides, when you look at super rapid teams, and as Tamar mentioned, there's not a single black coach amongst the four franchises that will be playing super rapid next year. Hmm. You know, um, and, and you've got a guy like Dion David who's sitting with the Kings and who did so well and still not being given an opportunity by, by the franchises themselves. And Faru had to step in uh, when he came to the Kings. You look at our Curry Cup sides, how many black coaches are there? You know, um, and, and, and issues, uh, a team like the Lions, you, you start looking on the playing field itself. You know, I think they dropped the ball when it came to a number of players that were on the field. And unfortunately, um, in this case, when, when you do measure the transformation targets. They will measure against your Spurmark team, against the super rapid side and your Curry Cup side. That is by the general rapid public and obviously by the media. Yes, when the government sits down in Saru, they look at the, the bigger picture, you know, which is starting at grassroots level all the way up, you know, the, to the, to the Spurmark side. And the reality is that where it matters the most, you know, um, which is, which is um, as Mr. Alexander would say, your, your shop window, which is at the Spurmark level, um, we've seen the numbers below 40%. And, 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 and it's easy to blame Arista Kutia, but Arista Kutia can only pick from what's in front of him. And what's in front of him is super happy, mainly. And that super happy, you know, those teams are not looking good at all. And then you look down the Curry Cup, which is meant to be a feeder for super happy, they're not looking good. You look at under 21 and under 19 interprovincials, you're seeing guys, you know, talented guys like Juan De Silva Similani. I was shocked to see him playing on the wing, and the, and the guy is the center. You know, so you know we're still sitting with with a with a bunch of coaches um, that are looking at rugby from one side only, and are not willing. And I'm, I'm going to say this: are not willing to look at rugby from the other side because when they do look at rugby from the other side, they're going to be pushed to it. You know, and 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 this is a question that keeps on coming up year in and year out: is that when is rugby going to be honest? And when I say rugby, I don't mean sorrow. I mean when are the, the coaches at the unions and franchises? going to be honest and do the right thing. And doing the right thing is picking the best player according to the stats in front of you, according to everything. And most of the time, you'll see how if you use the stats and you pick a team based on merit, it's going to be very easy to find that a team could easily be 50, 
50% black and 50% white. And, if, and at times, you find that it's even more than that. You look at the Kings yesterday. Their side, the player against a star that is ostracized. You know, they were full of black players, and they lost by seven points right at the end of the game. And it, again, it goes to, to say to you that transformation is not something that says, we're saying do it because, you know, we're trying to redress the past. We're saying do it because it's the right thing to do. You start tapping into a bigger pool for the African rugby to choose from players, and, and, and that bigger pool will ensure that South African rugby remains strong going forward and can be dominant in world rugby. Mr. Alexander, do you think that rugby is, uh, is accessible to black people in this country? And, 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 how would you describe, and how would you describe rugby development in the townships in general? Of course it's accessible to, 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 to rugby. You know, we, 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 this current year we've done over 180,000 uh, uh, kids to get into rugby. But as I said to you, you know, it's, it's difficult breaking down the door at a public school when the school doesn't do any sport at all. So you're putting, are you putting I mean, the blame also, at the door of the school? Butter. I want to remind Butter that our balance scorecard says that 43% of our, 40% for this year. If one looks at our, 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 our junior teams, we met all our targets. So, you know, you mustn't look at things with a blink on, only look at certain things, you know, cherry pick teams and stuff. Look at the thing as an overall and where we are going with the thing. When it comes to coaching, and the coaching is two things. The one thing you can bring, you can take a horse to the water when you can't make him drink. Our coaches need to go and get their level three and go look how many guys apply to do level three. The guys don't want to walk the extra mile and we, and we keep on encouraging the, the coaches to do the extra mile. Become a level three coach if you advance in your thing. There's a lot of work to be done to become a coach. It's not a, it's not a token we hand a guy and he's a, he's a level three coach. It's a two-way thing. Now, hear what you're saying. You make a lot of sense, but it, it, it has to come with the world from the individual. But are you supporting these coaches as well from Saru's perspective? Of course, we support because, you know, we're putting, we want to cross all the sports in the country. We put the most money into development of, of athletes, the most. And I see those figures. Vata? Mr. Zander, I've got to say, I, I, I may agree with you on Saru's part. And I'm going to give you examples, live examples that are happening now. We've seen the crisis at the Blue Bulls at the moment with Julius Rodboy, one of the uh, upcoming black coaches, young black coaches, one young guy unbeaten, coaching on the under-19 side, dismissed from his job. The guy like Denzel France, who's contributed immensely to the success of that union, dismissed from his job. The manager, team manager like Tim Glaner, who's done nothing wrong, dismissed from his job. You go to the Lions, Bafana and Lovu, same thing there. You know, he was coaching Super, uh, super Sport um, Rapid Challenge, and again, he was never offered the opportunity to coach at, 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 at Cutter Cup level. But so the coaches are there, and the guy like Sino Gando as well. With their franchise. Bafana is on the franchise coaching staff. No, 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 but, but Mr. Zander, Bafana right now, this year, was coaching the Super Sport Rugby Challenge and was not offered the Karakap head coach job because he was meant to progress into that. And rather, what happened there is that a Super, uh, um, a, a super Rugby assistant coach, um, who then became head coach, um, went down to, to Karakap level. So as much as the individuals are making the effort, you know, the opportunities are not there for them. You go to the, the cheaters as well, the guy like Sino Kanto, you know, was involved again. The Cutter Cup side has now been demoted to, to under-19. You know, you, you go to, to Western Province, the guy like Paul True, who's coached at, at the international level, is still being seen as an, an, an assistant coach. You go to the Sharks as well, the guy like Dion Kayser has been let, let go in, in, in the system as well. Hmm. So there, there are live examples in the, amongst the franchises and the unions where they're not giving um, enough and equal opportunity and fair opportunity to the black coaches. Now, what extra mile must the guy go through 
in order for him to get a fair chance. But Vata, Vata, you make those statements here because you have found out the certain things. Because there's one thing I've been pushing along is getting our coaches into the as highest level possible. Go look at the go look at the record. There's a record study of another story. You know, it's not just no, giving the guy because he's black and making there, because then we put doing tokenism. That's the last thing we do is tokenism. The guy is only black. Now here was you with Bafana. Now here was you Bafana and certain other guys. But yes, you know, we, we mustn't cherry pick. You know, it's, it's, the transformation just is about playing rugby. Well, there are seven dimensions we have to de- deliver on. Seven dimensions we're not funded on. So it's, it's difficult. We just like. So, so, so in the end, Mr. Alexander, what is it that we need to do, or you need to do, Asaru, in order to make sure that there is transformation in this country? We must continue with the programs we're implementing. Now we'll get there. We told government to be by 50, 50 by, by, by 2019 in all the dimensions they put out. We are going to be, by 2019, we will most likely be for, for, for more than 50% uh, players, uh, individuals of color. That we will do. So, nobody talks about reward. You know, even they don't even, nobody talks about rewarding the stuff we achieved that. You want to start with one or two little cherry picking. You know, Sandra Banana is, he talks about that. Sandra Banana is, 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 the, is, the, um, is on, the, on the board of, of EP Rugby. He should tell you what he's doing at EP Rugby. Ah. So, so I, I was, y- yes, Vata. I, I think, again, to Mr. Alexander, um, Mr. Ra- I, that's why I keep on saying this. Saru to me is not a problem. What is the problem is is, is affiliated with the unions, and this is where Saru I think needs to be much much more harder. Is is on the unions themselves and on the franchises because it is them that are letting down the, the, the mother body. Because as we said, Alexander said they've done well at junior sport level. There is no problem at all. You see the talent. You see guys playing in semi-finals and finals of the junior championship, uh, world championship. You look at the seventh team. Those are teams that are reflective of. The demographics of the country and and, and they dominate world rugby. So so when it comes to that, I've I've got, I've got to agree with Mr. Alexander. Transformation is happening there. I think they're meeting everything, all the targets. And yes, I do agree with them. You know, Saru can't do all the job of going to to uh, to build uh, the rugby field, uh, making sure that rugby is accessible at all public schools. This is the job of the Department of Basic Education, along with the Department of Sports and Recreation. And again, when we do build fields and and uh, multi-purpose sports uh, facilities. The municipalities need to look after them. It can't be the job of SAR mm-hmm. because, you know, you, you can't give an association that is already cashed out. You know, in the economy that's not doing well, the task of then looking after the fields and then mm-hmm. appointing coaches and then making sure programs are running. I think it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a collective effort to get that going, but it's important that uh, government really pays, pays their part there. My biggest issue, as I say, Mr. Alexander, again, it is your unions that are letting you down. It is your franchises that are letting you down. And unfortunately, those guys get cobbled up with Saru, and everyone says, well, rugby is not changing in the country. So I think it's Mas- important that Saru does with those guys who don't do what they mean to do. Vata, thank you so much. Uh, Mr. Alexander, in closing, do you think, though, that the 2023 World Cup will ensure that there's perhaps, uh, shall we call it, a step in the right direction towards transformation and making sure that this tournament can bring South Africa together like it did in 1995? I think it can. Firstly, firstly, uh, events like this brings our people together in the country. We need an event like that to once again to bring us together. You know, the one thing in South Africa, when we have tournaments like this, our people rally together. Regardless of the, the, the political affiliation, color, creed, they rally together. The other thing we promised from the world from, from this is that one of our legacies is to deliver one million kids playing rugby by 2023.